church, my name is Anna Beal, and I'm one of the seniors in this year's graduating class. I've been going to First Christian for seven years. I serve in the Connections team and the FCC Kids team, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Over the next few minutes, you're going to hear from four of my friends, Margaret, David, Sydney, and Maddie, as we continue in our series, Back to Life. Over the past five weeks, we've been in a series where we're looking at some of the things the pandemic has taken away from us, or changed, or damaged. In this series, we're acknowledging what we've lost during the pandemic, and we're also reframing our perspective for the future. Throughout this series, we've been casting a vision for what it could look like if we didn't just go back to normal, but instead got back to life. We've been dreaming of what it could look like to leverage this moment to build a future that's better than anything we've ever had before. This has been an awesome series for our church, and if you've not had a chance to catch all of it, then you should go back and check out the other messages on YouTube. Today we're talking about one of the most prominent losses we felt as the class of 2021, the loss of celebrations and milestone moments. Over the last two years, we've lost a lot of celebrations and milestones. I know I personally lost a lot of valuable time with my friends. I had a routine, our group had things we did together, we celebrated one another, and COVID changed all of that. In fact, we lost the opportunity to celebrate the major milestone that was one of my best friend's 18th birthdays. We lost a celebration that we aren't able to get back. And I know that's been true for many of us. For most of us in this room, not just the class of 2021, the past 18 months have been full of lost celebrations and milestone moments. So many of us lost things like proms, graduations. We missed moments that only come along once or twice in a lifetime. We missed major birthday celebrations. I mentioned my friend and she's not the only one. Our social media feeds were full of stories of people who had to celebrate major moments with drive-by parties and live stream feeds. So many of us lost annual family vacations, college semesters, holidays, and more things that we don't have time to name. Most of us have now felt the sting of missing major milestone moments and the memories that come along with them. And with all of this loss, it can feel like we've forgotten how to celebrate. It can be difficult to know where to go back from here. We could go back to the way things were, but if we're honest, we all had a sense that something was missing before. So today my friends Margaret, Sydney, and Maddie are going to look at some places in the Bible to see how God's people celebrated as we consider what it could look like for us to get back to life by celebrating like never before. Well, hello church and happy Student Takeover Sunday. As Anna just introduced, today we are imagining what it would look like to go back to celebrating like never before. At my house, celebration looks like ordering a Luke's pizza, getting some cookies and cream ice cream, and sitting down to watch a new movie. Or at least that's what celebration looks like for four-fifths of my family. For my dad, celebration looks like pizza, ice cream, and then sitting down to watch the first five minutes of a new movie and sleep through the rest. To some of you, that probably sounds pretty good. But for others, if I asked you to describe a good celebration, you would have some ideas too. Maybe about the best food to bring, or the perfect party playlist, or your favorite people to gather with. And it turns out that in the Bible, God also has some ideas about what the perfect party, what celebrating like never before, could look like. The first of the two texts that we are going to look at this morning comes from Leviticus. Leviticus is set right after the exodus of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. God brought them to Mount Sinai and invited them into a covenant relationship. 
God would be with them and the Israelites would be God's special people. But they immediately broke it. Now, where God had wanted to dwell among them, they were instead separated by sin. This book is all about how God graciously provides a way for a sinful people to live in God's holy presence. One of the important ways that God does this is through the ritual of festivals, a blueprint for celebration. In Leviticus chapter 23, God gives specific instructions for seven feasts that the people are to observe each year. Each of these feasts tells a different part of the story about how God rescued the Israelites from slavery and brought them through the wilderness towards the promised land. Through these regular celebrations, the people would remember who they were and who God was to them. My friend David will share this scripture with us. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Festival of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. One of the first things that immediately jumps out to me in this passage is the repeated admonition to stop working and rest. In fact, if David had read the whole chapter, we would find that the Israelite people are told at least 13 times to stop working and rest. Why does God value this so highly? Why is rest such an integral part of celebration? I would imagine that the Israelites in this passage aren't too different from us. They were probably burdened with responsibilities and anxieties and an ever-present list of tasks that had to be done. I would imagine that rest didn't come any more naturally for them than it does for us. And yet, they were commanded to do so. God called the Israelites to set aside their responsibilities, step outside of their present moment, and remember what was true. What was true about them and what was true about God. How God rescued them, how God provided for them, protected them, chose them, desired to be with them, loved them. Rest is meant to reorient our heart toward God's beautiful, renewing, life-giving truths that are somehow, though terribly important, so easy to miss. Rest creates space for us to put things in a proper perspective. We learn from this passage that celebration is a discipline meant not just to interrupt, but also infuse the rhythms of our lives with a reminder of God's goodness. I notice how important this is each spring. Every spring that I can remember has consisted of two things in this order, the celebration of Easter and then a ton of tests at school. Like most students, I have a certain amount of stress associated with testing and final grades. 
And once spring break ends, the last quarter of my school year is all about final exams and finishing the year strong. So Easter couldn't come at a better time for me. During a season where I am so tempted to define myself by my own achievements and my own abilities, God so mercifully invites me to celebrate Easter and to rest in the knowledge that what defines me is that I am a child of God, forgiven, loved, and redeemed. I think that this is how God hopes that we will celebrate like never before, by setting aside time to stop our work and rest so that we might remember who we are and who God is to us. But the Bible has more to say about how God's people are to celebrate. God reveals another important truth about celebration in the book of Joshua. This book is also in the Old Testament, and it starts with the death of Moses, who has led the Israelites through the wilderness. Joshua has been named their new leader, and the people are camped just across the Jordan River from the Promised Land. And the most amazing thing happens. God parts the rushing waters of the Jordan River, allowing the Israelites to finally cross over from the wilderness into the Promised Land safely, just as God had parted the Red Sea some 40 years earlier. This miraculous event served as both a promise of God's faithfulness in the future and a reminder of his power and faithfulness in the past. This was a very important day, a sacred day for the Israelite people, and God did not want them to forget it, ever. So let's listen as David tells us what God had them do. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial of the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. In this passage, we see a call to remembrance. God tells them to make a pile of stones from the river to serve as a sign, so that when their children ask them, what do these stones mean? They can tell them the story of what happened that day. God wants this day to define them. But how could it not? What sort of person would ever forget a miracle like this? A moment where God showed up in such a big way. Unfortunately, I think that person is me. Maybe it's you too. We find it easy to commiserate over the bad times, but 
We need help remembering God's power and faithfulness to us. And God knows this. So God, in God's mercy, teaches us to mark our days with moments of remembrance, otherwise known as celebrations. We need purposeful celebration in order to remember the things that deserve celebration. We need celebrations that cause us to stop and recognize important moments that we might otherwise miss as we run through our daily lives. Take Mother's Day as an example. If we're being completely honest, how many of us would have told our mothers how much we appreciated them last week if it weren't for Mother's Day? Not many of us, right? This doesn't mean that moms and motherly figures aren't awesome. They're huge blessings. But we can take them for granted if we're never stopped to reflect on that truth. We are far less prone to pause and remember in the absence of some sort of celebration As the Israelites were preparing to become a new kind of people, God wanted them to be a people whose lives and calendars were marked by celebrations and remembrance. What I love about these stories is that we find ourselves in a situation similar to the one the Israelites were in. Just like so many milestone moments were taken from us over the past 18 months, the Israelites had everything stripped away from them as they left Egypt journeyed through the wilderness, and headed to the promised land. God used this situation to help them relearn what it meant to celebrate. So what can we learn from the Israelites' experience as we figure out how to get back to life? My friend Sydney is going to help us learn how to apply these things to our lives today. Hi, my name is Sydney, and I'm the senior pastor here at FCC. (laughs) As we face another major transition moment, we have the opportunity to go back to normal or get back to life, back to the way we've always done things, or back to a better way of doing things. Our hope is that all of us will learn from the Israelites and choose to get back to life by celebrating like never before. We hope you'll fight the temptation to go back to business as usual and instead use this reset moment to become people whose lives are shaped by deep, meaning-filled celebration. Margaret and David showed us what this looked like for the Israelites. But what does it look like for us? How do we get back to life by celebrating like never before? I think we should use this moment to refocus on what the holidays are really about. This stood out to me as I reflected on this past Christmas. I don't know about you guys, but this is what the week of Christmas used to look like for my family. We used to spend the weeks before decorating the house and making sure everything is perfect. Then, the week leading up to Christmas, we used to spend our time cleaning every part of the house so that it was suitable for guests. Once our family got here, we would spend the majority of our time cooking elaborate meals and continuing to make sure everything stayed clean. However, this year was different. In the months leading up to it, I was super excited for Christmas. We were supposed to spend it with even more family than usual, meaning I would get to see cousins, aunts, and uncles that I don't see very often. However, as I'm sure many of you can relate to, that didn't pan out. Due to the pandemic, my parents decided we would just celebrate by ourselves, meaning just them, my siblings, and me. At first, I was really disappointed. I thought that this Christmas was going to be terrible, and I hated that the pandemic ruined our plans. But then Christmas came. We didn't do the usual stuff. 
We didn't spend weeks making sure we had a ton of perfect decorations. We didn't spend the week leading up to Christmas Day cleaning the house. Instead, we spent time with each other as a family. On Christmas Day, we all sat down and took the time to watch as each person opened their presents. No one had to keep getting up to check on lunch and make sure to be ready in time. We were all able to just celebrate together. This ended up being one of the best Christmases I've ever had. I'm sure many of you can think back to how your holidays usually are. Busy, chaotic, stressful. This experience has taught me that just like God commanded, we need to rest on days of celebration, not work harder. We need to make time to remember what the day is truly about and why we are celebrating, rather than being so focused on just getting through it that we aren't really living it. And I think these passages teach us something else. These stories tell me that we should also use this moment to get back to practicing gratitude and remembrance. Margaret and David told us a story about the Israelites building Ebenezer's in order to remember what God has done for them. When I heard those verses, I was reminded of a tradition that I have in my family. Every year on Christmas Eve, my siblings and I each receive an ornament from my parents. Each of our ornaments symbolized something that was a big part of our year. For example, my sophomore year, I was accepted into Ollie's Orchestra Clinic on the violin, so I received this violin ornament. Inside each ornament box, there's a letter from my parents recapping events from that year that were important to us. The year I received this, my letter included stories from the end of my freshman year, beginning of my sophomore year, with an emphasis on my violin performances and auditions. That way, when we decorate the tree each year, we read each letter as we put our ornament on. This is how my family remembers all of my, mine and my siblings' lives and the Christmases we have celebrated together. Maybe you need a tangible reminder as well. And maybe building an actual small pile of rocks like the Israelites did that causes you to remember. Or you could write a note in your Bible to mark when God does something big in your life. Maybe you need a specific place in your home, car, office, or wherever that you keep notes or other reminders of the ways God has been at work in your life. You could put new traditions in place that do the same thing for your family that mine does for mine. Family. <laughs> Maybe you could do, add a new tradition of having family members reflect on what they're grateful for at Thanksgiving or change the way you celebrate Christmas. I don't know what this looks like for you, but now is the perfect time to change up your rhythm in a way that allows you to celebrate like never before. So when we're able to celebrate all the things we used to, let's celebrate differently. Let's reorient our celebrations around the things that matter most, and let's implement traditions and tools that allow us to remember God's goodness and faithfulness. Prioritize better. Realize that our houses don't have to be spotless, and everything doesn't have to be perfect in order to have a meaning-filled holiday. Remember, you just need to be present and celebrate with the people you care about. Just like me, maybe this year taught you that the secret to celebrating is not speeding up, but slowing down. These are some places to start, but maybe you need more consistent reminders than special holidays can provide. If that's true, then I have good news. Here at FCC, we already have a way to celebrate like never before built into our weekly rhythm. Every week, we pause during our service to celebrate communion together. My friend Maddie is going to tell us all about it. As Sydney said, we have a perfect reminder to celebrate and practice built into our service each week. The thing that makes holidays and milestones special is that they're rare. Holidays only happen once a year, and milestones may only happen once in a lifetime. Those moments are rare, but we have a weekly celebration that gives us an opportunity to practice. It is a moment that Jesus celebrated for the first time with his closest followers, right before his time on earth came to an end. And it's when we celebrate each week with followers all over the world. 
Let's look at what Luke says about this. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And taking the cup, he gave thanks, saying, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is my cup, it is new. It is the covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Luke 22:14-20. It is during this time around the table that we follow in the footsteps of the Israelites like we've been talking about today. During this meal, we meet Jesus as we leave behind the noise of this week and we enter into the new coming week in trusting him. We pause and rest as we reflect on Jesus' life and sacrifice. During this meal, we shift our perspective towards the gratitude and thank God for the ways that he is at work in and through our lives. During this meal, we look back and celebrate at the faithfulness of God throughout history. We look around at the way he is at work in the present, and we look forward to the victory we have in Christ in the future. This morning, I invite you to celebrate this with me. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us an example in the Bible of how we should meet you at the table. Help us look to the Israelites and be able to celebrate you and your sacrifice for us. I pray for this message that was given that we will be able to apply it to our lives today. And I hope that it blesses us and guides us in our everyday life. Amen. Church, a decision lies ahead of us. We go back to the way we could celebrate before, or we can use this moment to make us people who go back to life celebrating like never before. We could get back to life celebrating the milestones more intentionally and doing more to remember the powerful ways that God is at work in and through our lives every day. We can use this moment to become known as people who celebrate like never before, more than anyone else. I hope we will fight the temptation to go back to normal and start a new beginning by celebrating like never before. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, bless us as we leave church today and throughout the week. Lead us as we seek you and attempt to embrace this new normal. We love you and we thank you for new beginnings. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.